Hi and welcome to the Glasgow Triathlon Club podcast for December. Um, we've got a couple of interviews this month which um, I really enjoyed doing. Um, Masha Mott is going to tell us a little bit about some of her ultra um, runs this year. I know that we're a triathlon club but as the season is over I thought it'd be really nice to hear um, from a slightly different sport. Um, she's had such great success this year and uh, yeah, can't wait to see what happens for Masha next year. We also spoke to James who is a technical official and Quite honestly, I didn't really know anything about it when I started the interview. Um, it's so, so interesting. I think it's one of the, the favourite chats I've had on this podcast, so I really hope you enjoy it as well. Um, it's really interesting just to hear a different side of triathlon and, and hear about all the things um, him and his, his colleagues and peers get up to. Um, on a slightly different note, just some admin um ian todd has posted in the group today which is monday the 6th of december as i record this um about our sort of annual christmas challenge so do um have a look at the spreadsheet get involved it's a lot of fun and you get a special badge uh, one of the challenges is 450 meter breaststroke max effort i did that today i'm not sure i've recovered it was absolutely horrendous <laughs> it's one of the hardest swims i've ever done um god yeah so hard so yeah enjoy that good luck uh get your badge just another thing to note as well uh fiona roberts has posted in the facebook group about our membership for 2022 so at the moment you can benefit from early bird membership at 32 pounds until the 31st of december and then after that it goes up to 35 pounds um, do make sure that you get in there quickly because you won't be able to book any sessions if you're not a member. Um, and yeah, it's been so great to see all the sessions back up and running this year. You know, we're really kind of back into the swing of things. We've got tons of swimming sessions. We've had swim filming. Um, we've had our sort of informal bike sessions. We've got Zwift racing. We've still got our running sessions. Um, and yeah, Fiona... Um, Honor launched the circuits class on a Friday morning as well, which has been really beneficial. So do make sure you're making the most of the sessions. Do come along. It will help to improve all of your sports um, and all of your disciplines across triathlon. So yeah, come come along. We've, we've really loved seeing everybody um, back up and running this year. Right, let's hear from James. Right, welcome, James, to the Glasgow Tri Club podcast. How exciting! How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. How are you? Good. I'm good. Thank you. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about your role as a technical official. Um, but first of all, I want to know a little bit about you. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, maybe how you got into triathlon or Glasgow Tri Club in particular? Yeah, yeah, of course. So I got into triathlon in around 20, 2012, just from a, a gym that was hosting a, like a kind of virtual triathlon, uh, swim in their pool and then come up to use the exercise machines. Uh, from there, me and one person I did it with uh, decided to go and enter a real one. So we booked one for the end of 2013. And that was it. I was hooked. Well, I decided that I definitely wanted to beat her. So I did about two or three in the lead up to it. It was like trial runs, uh, and then that was it. That was me. That was I was into triathlon uh, um, from there. Um, yeah, and then I 
got into officiating quite quickly after that. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm like, I, I quite like to volunteer for stuff. I don't know. I'll always put my hand up as soon as there's some kind of, yeah, something's needed. And it looked like, at that point, I was living in London. At that point, the London region needed officials, and I thought it'd be interesting. The course was quite cheap. It was like a day and 15 pounds to learn how to become an official. Um, and I thought, you know, I've just got into this sport. I'll learn a whole bunch more about it. Yeah. So that's that's what I did, yeah. And so that was my first course in, in 2014. Um, yeah, and then I came to Scotland in 2015. Yeah. Um, started officiating with Triathlon Scotland. So that's where I got did a lot more courses and kind of developed a whole bunch more. Okay. Yeah. So you moved to... Um... You moved to Glasgow, yeah, when you moved to Scotland? Yeah, well, first I came to Edinburgh. I came to Glasgow a couple of years after that. So I've only been in the club since 2018, I think. Okay. And have you carried on racing as well? as uh, We'll get to the officiating in a minute, but have you carried on racing as well? Not a, a little bit. Not as much as... A little bit. Not as much as I did before. I must say, um, now that I'm officiating more and more races... Racing myself has taken a bit of a backseat. Um, I'm still trying to train uh, as if I was going to race because I like the training. I like the training. It's sometimes it's almost like training more than I like competing. Um, so yeah, I'm quite happy to train and uh, yeah, and, and swim and then officiate for most of the weekends that I have free. There's just not enough time, right? If you if you want to do a couple of things, if you want to officiate and you want to race and you want to have another life, then this yeah, something has to give. At least yeah. For I'm going to come back and ask you a little bit about racing now you're an official in a minute but first of all um so let's talk about officiating so you started officiating in London and that was at like a local level are you able just to explain a little bit about the levels because it's a wee bit complicated isn't it yeah so in in the UK it's at three levels so um local regional and national so you start off as local and that's um it that means generally smaller events but what it mostly means is you go to events without an open water swim so the first course doesn't touch on open water swim safety that kind of thing so duathlons pool-based triathlons is what you're qualified to um to be the chief official at or you can assist at open water swims as long as there's someone else there who's already regional or above they they could do the open water swims Okay. Then regional technical official is your, it covers open water swimming um, and kind of the rules and the safety stuff around that. So that at that point you're entitled to go to any race with an open water swim, so mo- basically any race. And then once you get above that, national technical official is what they tend to use for uh, like a qualifier or um, a national championship, so national aquathlon, national sprint standard, whatever. Um, and then the national technical official course is the point that British triathlons pathway overlaps with world triathlons. So um, I did I did that course this year, and a national technical official is also level one on the world triathlon scale. So that's to go and be an um, assistant official at European or or world triathlon level events. Okay, that's amazing. That's really exciting. And then you can go on to level two and three as well. Is that right? Yeah. So from there, the world triathlon scale goes up to uh, what used to be called uh, continental technical official. Now it's just called level two. And so that's uh, you know the level above that being 
taking taking charge of a some part of a, of a bigger race. So, for instance, could be um, being the chief on the run course or the chief on the bike course uh, at a world event, or being in charge, you know, fully in charge at a lower tier, a European event, or a World Cup, or things like that. And then finally, level three is you know fully uh, in charge, qualified to be in charge of any race anywhere up to olympics commonwealth games um so that's a there are not very many people on that list if you go on the world triathlon website you can look at more and it's a pretty short list yeah and so we did talk a little bit about this earlier already you and i but um obviously Maisie has been selected to um train to be a level three official and i think that when that was posted on our Facebook group, I'm not sure everybody really kind of grasped the normative of what that means. Oh yeah, it's a ma- it's a it's a massive it's a massive achievement to be selected for that course, and it's uh, I mean it means a huge amount of work over a long period to rise up through all those levels. You know, your your local, your regional, your national, your your level one, your level two, and then be operating a really high level at those to be to be selected. So yeah, and it's it. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible achievement for Maisie. And also, um, pr- prior to that, as a level, she was a level two official before that. We also had uh, Bob Newton, our, our former treasurer, who was a level two official. So Glasgow, Glasgow, and now I'm a level one official. So Glasgow Triathlon Club was done, is incredibly well represented at kind of uh, the international officiating stage, which is a yeah, kind of neat thing to have, I think. Yeah, that's really cool. That's amazing. Um, and what have you what have you enjoyed about it? Well, you've obviously enjoyed it enough to push to be level one um, yeah. at an international level. What is it that you've you've really enjoyed about the process? Um, it's really, I think it's the, it's the same kind of thing that drives me, as I said, to be a bit of a serial volunteer and volunteer for things. It, it's really satisfying to see an event. Uh, come together, go to completion, lots of satisfied competitive faces on the day. I think the same reason lots of people enjoy enjoy um, marshalling or enjoy putting on these kind of events. Just as it is very satisfying and you do see a lot of uh, you do see a lot of happy faces. Um, yeah, and you've kind of contributed to putting that event on. Yeah, so it's a nice feeling, I think. What races have you been to or I suppose really what I'm asking are what are the best races you've been to and the best races you've officiated? Um well, that's tough. Don't want to offend anybody, I hope, I suppose. Um, well, so this year, so I did my, as I said, this year, well, last year, I should say, I did my level one course, the theory part of it, before COVID took place. And then the practical was, the practical is to go to a World Triathlon Series race or, in, you know, a World Triathlon uh, level race. So I went, this year, I went to Leeds. Yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, I got, I was um, on the I was on the start pontoon for both the men's and women's elite race, and then I was stood in transition, um, which is kind of scary as they come flying by because obviously they cycle through transition for their laps, and yeah. it is like being stood next to being stood on the platform as a train goes past, like the air that moves by you as a peloton of elite cyclists comes by. Uh, so that I mean that was a really really good experience. Um, before that, I was lucky enough to be to go to the Glasgow 2018 when we hosted the European Championships at Strathclyde Park. Um, I got, was selected for that, um, yeah, to get experience to move up to the that level one level. Um, but I mean, it's just it's always different. So like 
smaller races are also yeah, it's not just about big races, I guess. Small, small races are also good. One year I officiated um, for the Edinburgh's New Year's Day triathlon. Um, that's a good race. Uh, that, yeah, and I mean, and you're all looking at each other like you're all completely mad. Like, why have you got up early on, on New Year's Day for this? Um, so that was a pretty good race to do. Uh, yeah, I don't know. They're, they're, always di- they're always different. I think that's, I think that's it. Um, this year I was officiating at Aberfeldy for the middle distance. Uh, that was my first, the first time I'd done a long race like that. So that's a completely different rhythm because it was you're stood there as, uh, sorry, as you're stood there officiating and then suddenly you've got like 90 minutes to do nothing because everybody's on the white course. And <laughs> no, normally, you know, a multi-wave sprint or a multi-wave standard, it's just a constant flow and you're on your feet constantly. So the, the weird rhythm of that was different. So yeah, I mean, been doing it for years but i'm still yeah still learning new things all the time yeah and what do you find the most challenging what's the most challenging part of being an official um apart from the early starts for races the most challenging part weirdly the smaller races are more challenging i think because often then you're working by yourself and you kind of feel a drag to be everywhere you, you kind of want to be checking in bikes but you also want to be answering questions in transition you feel like you need you know you want to look at the mount line but you also want to be in transition you want to look at the swim start for wave two but wave one are coming back on after like leaving on the bike you, you kind of feel like you're never in the right place because you're just you're trying to be everywhere we, we do now that scotland is getting more officials try to work in small teams two two or three but yeah working working at a small race where it's just you and you're constantly feeling uh, stretched I think that's probably the hardest thing yeah and then what things are you looking out for because I think we all you know we all know there are rules to follow but what are the main things that you're really looking out for well it starts with, it starts with bike check-in um, so looking to that the bike is going to be roadworthy for you or, or you know not that I'm checking that it's roadworthy it's your responsibility competitive responsibility but to keep an eye on it um, so looking for a does it have brakes? Um, are the bar ends plugged? You know, that that kind of thing. So that's the kind of initial, like, uh, the first time you meet the competitors. And then during the race, looking for, um, mo- mostly based in transition, and looking for things like uh, helmets to be done up, um, but you're not trying to go out on the run with your helmet because at least someone in every race will try and will completely, they'll be so paranoid about not taking it off early that they just won't take it off at all. Um, what else? Oh, um, earphones, AirPods, that kind of thing is not permitted. Um, yeah. And then in an open water race, the other thing is um, the, the things to do with water temperature. So we'll go out and measure the temperature mm-hmm. um, at multiple points on the course or ask a friendly kayaker to do it for you. Um, and then from that, determining what's going to be allowed, what's not going to be allowed. Is a wetsuit going to be allowed? Um, are wetsuit socks going to be allowed? Um, yeah, there's a whole there's a whole bunch to look out for. I mean, ideally, you'd be looking at the mount and the dismount line. Generally, unless there's a whole bunch of you, you kind of have to allow get a marshal to help you with that because you can't. You, like I say, you just can't be everywhere. But yeah, there are there are plenty of things to be looking at the whole time. Yeah, and you said the smaller races, there's usually just you, and then at the bigger races, I would imagine then there's quite a number of people at different parts of the course. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Bigger races, 
bigger races, so um, Scottish Championships normally, hopefully you'd work as a team of at least three. So three, we had three for the Aquathlon Championships, uh, Aberfeldy, I think there were five or six. Mm-hmm. Um, especially as, uh, as a race is spread out, like if you have a split transition, you definitely need a lot more people. And, um, and a split swim start, so somebody to, to watch the swim in. Um, yeah, you tend to have more people then. And then, uh, I mean, an uh, uh, international race, it could be a team of like 20 or 30. I mean, yeah. More probably um, to, to deliver that safely and uh, mm-hmm. to live that safely and fairly. And then as you get into the sort of bigger races then, um, especially, I suppose, at an international level, do you rely more on technology? I think, like, if I suppose I'm thinking about, you know, Brownlee, Duncan's competitor, was it last last year he he did that? I've forgotten already. Yeah, this year, 2021, yeah. This year, yeah. <laughs> Seems like a lifetime ago already. Um, like, is that, that, that sort of thing is caught on camera, so it's really obvious to pick up, but uh, do you use technology in that way? Yeah, so there's um, uh, a race like that. So on the uh, the swim, there'll be officials with um, iPads or cameras on the boat. So we're taking their own footage. But there's also um, there'll also be somebody sat with uh, in the broadcast truck with the you know doing a proper like video review, which you'd see it in football or rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, so able to ask for exactly what's going out on the telly, able to ask for it to be played back, um, and for them to watch it. Um, yeah, so yeah, we're doing both, both our own, both recording our own footage um, and using exactly what's gone out on on the telly. Uh, yeah, so that's not a jo- video review is not a job I've done, um, but yeah, it's one of the it's one of the many it's one of the many jobs at a big race that somebody will be allocated to. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then what are I think sometimes when you talk about the rules, we all sort of get a little bit nervous. Well, I certainly do. I always feel like I'm going to be accused of breaking a rule that I've not. <laughs> I've not even broken yet. Um, what do you think are the main the main uh, rules that get broken, or and and are some of them on purpose, and are some of them just completely unintentional? I think it depends on the what rules get broken and how you decide to deal with it. Really depend on the race. Okay. Um, if you know you're in, if you know you're, if you know you're in the um, age group qualifier then you might choose to you might choose to um give less warnings and more be more strict uh, a kind of community race you're more likely well it's more likely to be inadvertent you know the competitors are less likely to know the rules yeah um so you would choose to be more educational where you think the competitors uh, you know know better then you might i mean yeah, you might choose to enforce them uh, with penalties. You might choose to enforce them more strictly. Everything is always to do with the bike. Bikes are the things that have so aquathlon is like the easiest thing to officiate. You know, you get out of the water and you go for a run, and there's very little. Um, the most common thing is probably drafting. Uh, when when there's a motorbike there um, to phone you and, and issue drafting penalties, that's by far and away the most common. Uh, then things to do with helmets. Then probably the mount line, and then probably uh, headphones. After that, I think in probably the order of things you see the most. Um, it's just when you're pushing your bike along with one hand, that second hand that just wants to come up and ping and undo the helmet strap. It's too easy. You can see people's brain thinking about it. From um, you can see as soon as they get off the bike, their brain's thinking about it, and you see the hand start to work its way up their chest, and you can already call out, be like, "Leave that on, leave that on." Um, 
yeah, you can you can you can see if people are quite transparent, you can see exactly how their mind's working because they're in race mode. They're, they're, you can see the cogs turning. And then do you do you see the elites breaking rules on purpose? I mean that obviously the the Brownlee there's some debate over whether or not that was an illegal move. There was some at the time, I think. Uh, certainly in the wonderful world of the internet, um, where everyone's got their own opinion. Um, but do you see the elites kind of doing things on purpose? Uh, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure. I'm not sure um, because I mean it's pretty rare to see mm-hmm. penalties in the World Triathlon Championship Series. I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty rare and it's mostly, it's mostly genuine error, but uh, I say that mostly as a spectator because I say uh, Leeds was my first experience of it this year, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I say that mostly as what I've seen on TV, the same as everybody else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah, I think like the that the Burnley incident is probably one of the only ones I can think of in in recent years that's certainly ever been on telly. Anyway, that I've that I've noticed, there just doesn't seem to be that much chat. Yeah, right? I think it's fair to say that the swim has been a place where people might get away with things like that historically. So I think it's, I think it there's definitely more cameras on the swim now, more officials, and more cameras on the swim in the last three years that's that's what i understand from kind of the courses i've been on and that's directly that's not that's directly because athletes athletes have asked for it the the athletes have said you know could could you help us tighten this up we think there is something going on yeah so i guess they they amongst themselves must think that some of their compatriots are not playing fairly but it's, it's really hard to see i guess in the water yeah um, just out of interest, as someone who organises a triathlon, we had a bit of an issue this year with littering. Um, is that is that within? I, I don't know the rules off by heart, obviously. Um, is littering within within the rules? Can you be penalised for that for dropping your gel packet or? Yeah, yeah, you can be disqualified for that. Um, and yeah, you, yeah, you can and should be disqualified for that. Again, it's a thing that's pretty hard to spot. Mm-hmm. Um, probably happens on a remote bit of a bike course, unless the motorbike's right behind you. Um, so yeah, you see in uh, in the elite races, they can only drop up, they can only litter drop at the aid stations or yeah. it's um, or it's signposted. So it'll say uh, littering zone starts here, littering zone ends here. Yeah. Um, I guess, and that's part of role model behaviour. But yeah, I think all yeah, you, you can and should be disqualified for it. And you know, it comes to like protecting the sport. You know, we're out in the countryside and. Um, we need to be able to use the same countryside again and again for once someone finds a great course, they want to reuse it and you don't want to be going around uh, kind of shredding triathlon's reputation. So I think all the rules really are common sense. They're all there for like safety, fairness or, or to protect you know, the sport in some way. And so I think in general, yeah, in general, they're kind of, they're kind of common sense. They're all, you can see where each of them is coming from. Yeah. So there's not, there's none that you think actually people just, nobody knows this rule. Nobody understands it. Is there any? Is there one in particular that you see being broken all the time? Well, you've kind of kind of named them already, but um, there's one that I see broken all the time, and that I find it pretty difficult to enforce, um, which is uh, some of the uniform requirements. So you yeah. should not cross the finish line with your zipper undone. Interesting. Um, 
in a sprint or a standard, I think it should, your zip has to be done up for the entire race in a middle distance or longer. You're allowed to undo it, but you've got to do it up to cross the line. Um, I think that gets one that gets broken all the time. And I, yeah, it's, it's pretty difficult to, it's pretty difficult to enforce. Um, yeah, I would say we used to, I, we used to when I first started. There was a, one of the rules was about splits. You know, two part two part uniforms couldn't have too much of a gap between them. You know, you didn't want to see too much belly poking out. Basically, yeah. I can't remember what it was. It was something like fifteen centimeters or ten centimeters. So I, I mean, no one's going to measure this either. I think this was a rule that um, maybe maybe at elite level, but you know, in your in your local event. So yeah, I think that's yeah. I guess that's my least favorite. Yeah. And do they get changed sometimes, like, or regularly? Are they updated? Or are they pretty standard for years of land? They change a little bit. Um, our rulebook tends to follow World Triathlon's rulebook. So if they update theirs, we will generally update ours. Uh, so we didn't, no one did an update last year, I think, because one, I guess COVID, and two, they don't, I think, that they don't tend to want to change with the rules too much going into an Olympic year. Um, but yeah, the, the rules do change to, I think generally in response to any inconsistencies that have come up during the year, like although the, the, the rule didn't quite cover this, it created an accidental gray area, so we'll fix it. So they, yeah, they do add and remove stuff. And how has being uh, an official um, affected your racing? Like are you, when you go into a race now, you're thinking, oh, I better, better make sure <laughs> tick every box or you, you see other people breaking the rules and you have to think actually that's not for me to deal with uh i think certainly at the beginning it may be a better racer because you don't have to and it's probably the same if you end up being a a, a marshal in transition you don't have to make these mistakes yourself you literally can watch 300 competitors make mistakes in front of you and you can kind of learn <laughs> you kind of learn through them so you know exactly like kind of how not you see a lot of how not to do things or like messy transitions or people mm-hmm. going over the mountain line. You think, yeah, I shouldn't do that. Um, I know one of my, but one of my shadows, my first, first learnt, somebody had gone out and managed to do the entirety of an Olympic distance course with their rear wheel skewer undone. And they came to break heavy braking at the dismount line. So they've got through 40 kilometers. And as they did uh, under heavy braking to stop for the line, the wheel just popped out, like just, Whole, those bikes just sort of sunk underneath them. Um, they, they, so they'd obviously got, got through it. So, you know, it, it was it was a very strange thing to watch. And now I'm even more careful about making sure that everything, you know, when you've taken the bike out of the car or off the rack, that you actually have done everything up as it's supposed to be. It's too easy to forget. So, yeah, you, I definitely try to, if I see something, I definitely try to apply it to my own racing. Yeah, that makes sense. And then do you also work with the organisers? So, like, after the event to make sure that they've kind of done their job properly as well. I mean, I know obviously, you know, event accidents happen, accidents happen at, you know, many events. Do you then work with them to sort of have investigations if needed? And is that another part of your role? Um, I mean, working with the event organiser from from the start, so from when you're appointed, really. So I try and, when I know my races for the year, try and introduce myself. Um in case they have, you know, and volunteer to take on any rules, questions from competitors, things like that, um, and to look through anything they want to send out, pre-race pack, a pre-race info pack or a participant pack or anything, just to make sure that uh, the rules are uh, described well or linked to or whatever. 
um, and also checking that they've kind of got all their checking that they kind of got all their paperwork together that they booked the water safety people and the medical people. Yeah, um, they're doing all the things that they kind of said they would do to track in Scotland when they got issued the permit. Um, yeah, then do the race together, and then after the race, um, send both them and Trath in Scotland a uh, good, I don't know, good couple of pages, maybe a five-page report on how the race went, mm-hmm. um, covering everything from the pre-race info, like where the maps around, did everybody know the way well in advance when they, before they got there? Um, was there a big queue or registration packet pickup? Did the race start on time? How was transition secure? Were, were people able to accidentally bring their family or their dog in or something? Was it really kept to competitors only? Um, so yeah, it kind of covers everything. And then it, with the aim of trying to improve the race for next year, it's not like it's. I mean, it's not a scorecard. It, I mean, it is, but it's not. It's uh, you know, like here's all the great things, and you know, if you want to run this race again, here are things. You, potentially you could tweak for competitors like to make it better for competitors um, just to make it kind of a slightly better race but without you know saying oh you need to spend hundreds of thousands of pounds on this you know clearly you're not going to bring every race up to you know televised standard like that's it's about being realistic um as to uh, i've been lucky enough not to have any kind of big uh incidents or races that i've had to work with um after the race, other than a few times when people, competitors appeal based on, you know, you've either issued a penalty or dis- disqualified them. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, I've not had to deal with any kind of long, longer incidents or anything. That's good. And do you find, do people get shirty with you if you penalise them on the day? Do you have to deal with irate athletes or are they generally pretty respectful? Both, either. Uh, when you stop someone during the race, they generally have complete race brain and have no idea who you are, why you've stopped them. Yeah. Especially when you're trying to avoid giving them a penalty. So I'd like to, somebody with their helmet taken off, stop them and ask them to put it back on because otherwise they're going to get penalised, I don't know, 30 seconds, depending on the distance of the race. So generally it's quicker for them to just do the clip up. It might take five seconds. Yeah. Um, but it, would, it takes way longer if they want to stand and have a d- discussion with you about it. Um, so I've had I've stopped people to be like, uh, you know, what, what's going on here? This isn't right. And they're like, can't you see I'm trying to race? <laughs> um, and it's like, yeah, that's you know that that is why we're all here. But it's it, it's not it's in generally not actual malice. It's just like complete adrenaline rush brain, uh, like one track brain is focused mm-hmm. on doing something quickly and not being interrupted. Yeah. Um, so yeah, most people. Generally, when you speak to them after the race um, to kind of clarify it, uh, once the adrenaline's worn off, they're generally kind of okay. A few people have had a few people want to appeal things, um, but yeah, generally it kind of yeah, it's okay. It's the it's that mid race where you want to give somebody a warning mm-hmm. uh, that's more difficult. Yep, <laughs> I've been on the receiving end of that warning before, for exactly as you describe, unclipping my. <laughs> It's just generally quicker to do what they've said rather than make the whole process take longer or worse, actually get a penalty because the penalty is also going to probably be longer than it took you to do it back up. So you're better off just like complying and moving on. I got it at the, uh, it was my first race back after having a baby and then having to rehab for a long time. And it was at the New Year's Day triathlon, but of course it's really cold. So I unclipped it and the official said, put your helmet back on. Oh yeah, I forgot. And then my hands were too cold to get it back on. Oh yeah, that... That is, uh, yeah, 
that is that is difficult. I normally say to officials and marshals, like if someone's struggling with that um, and they're okay with you doing it, like feel free to help them. I normally let people struggle with it for a few seconds so that they've at least had to make an effort. You know, it's not valet service. Yeah. <laughs> they've made a genuine effort, but, you know, we live in a cold country and we swim in cold water. So, um, and the same, you know, and the same also goes quite often at children's races. Like, mm-hmm. let the children have a sporting chance of doing what they were trying to do and then help them because they're children. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is not, like, this is not the Olympic Games. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like a little attempt because you know, we're not trying to, yeah, we're not trying to do a valet service and then, like help them that's why we're here yeah um okay so what is next for you are you going to try and get to level two do that soon or in the future uh so i think i've got to have yeah that you they may they make it rightly that you can't just like change from course to course so you have to serve a couple of seasons at your existing level before you can move up and you have to do a certain number of races um so yeah we will see but yeah yeah, I would, I would hope so. I'd hope to move to level two. Whether whether I ever get selected to go up uh, like Maisie's done to level three, I don't know. That's you know that's that's a level of dedication, like and hard work and like that's all your time. I think that's a, it's hard work. But I think yeah, maybe level maybe I could step up one further. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. But yeah, I definitely like to. I definitely like to get to that level and then um, try and do that as exactly as. Um, Maisie's done this year when she was selected to go to Tokyo, mm-hmm. um, you know, try and make it to a, a major games, the, the Olympics or, or the Commonwealths. I mean, I, I'm, I guess I'm kind of lucky. I got into officiating relatively young, so I've got quite a few years, hopefully, to try and make it to one of those major games. Yeah, that would be amazing. Um, so one thing I think that's kind of come out from this chat is that it seems like quite a lot of work. Um, you're having to dedicate a lot of time. Um, and it's, is it a vo- entirely voluntary still? They pay our, they pay our expenses. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, you, generally for a club race, they'll give you uh, something like um, £40 to cover your first your first hundred miles and anything that you needed to do, uh, any equipment you had to buy, and then um, forty people per mile after that. So it's kind of yeah, it's on, it's on a it's on an expenses it's on an expense basis. And tra- so for traveling for traveling further afield, so down to down to Leeds, they paid for the overnight accommodation. Um, but to pro- to progress and get experience on the continent, generally that would be. Um, Generally, that will be on a self-funded basis. So you've got to you've got to get yourself to the race. They will look after you while you're at the race. So if I want to go to a race in um, Spain or uh, you know Germany or anywhere on the continent, generally it's, you've got to get there, okay. um, and then they look after you. So yeah, it's kind of yeah, yeah, voluntary, but with a little bit of expenses covered. Okay. And do, does it take up a lot of your time? Do you think how much time do you spend on it? Uh. Because you have a full-time job as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I don't. It's not. It's not too. It depends how often you want to officiate and how many races you get selected for. Mm-hmm. I guess um, doing races in Scotland that are generally a day. So I try and do kind of one of those a month in the season. So you've got your day of time actually at the race, and then you've probably got, I don't know, a couple of hours. 
prior to that, or maybe a bit longer to prepare when you're kind of looking, doing exactly what competitors would do. I guess looking at the race website, looking at the race pack, working out the route, working out how it's going to, how it's going to look like on the day, uh, and speaking to the race organizers about it, drafting emails, going back and forth. And then, um, I don't know, generally probably put a couple of hours into the report afterwards. Um, I kind of take photos of everything at the events that I saw or that was good or, of good practice and bad practice, put it into the report. Like, you know, tends not to really try, try not to write something that was like, this was terrible, this was terrible, this was terrible. <laughs> try, try to highlight good practice um, um, and, and also points to improvement because I think it's got to be collaborative. Like the event, it's not the event organisers are working hard to do it with exactly the same goal as we are, which is like safe, fair and fun. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, kind of sometimes yeah, everyone's on the same team, but you are also writing a report. So it's yeah, you got to balance that out. Um, I always send it to the race organizer first before I send it in to track in Scotland, um, in case like, I've missed anything or misrepresented anything. Because I think it's just kind of yeah, to try and foster that kind of team. Yeah. So I'm just trying to think about the job description because they might, you know, people might listen to this and think, oh, actually, no, I would quite like to be, I would quite like to do that. So you need to be well organized, good communication skills, kind of like any job, I would say. But yeah, what makes a good official? Um, I think, yeah, good communications, the, the complete key and heart of it. Um, I think we, yeah, we do spend, I think in the training, we do spend a bit of time doing that because you're kind of, You've got a lot of people to work with. You've got spectators, competitors, the event organizer, marshals, other officials, uh, and you've got to work out the best way to communicate to them. Um, communicating with competitors, as I said, during the race can be quite difficult because they're not expecting you to talk to them. Um, and often you're kind of breaking news they didn't want to hear. Like, I'm sorry, I'm going to, like, we've seen you do this. And um, on that basis, I'm going to issue the two-minute time penalty for, for drafting. Like that, no one wants to hear this. Um, yeah, so I think communication, yeah, communication, organization, and uh, an interest, like a, an interest in the sport. Not everybody who's officiating is a competitor or even was a competitor. You have to be interested in the sport. Yeah, that makes sense. Perfect. Okay, I think you've, you've, you're selling it well. <laughs> I to, okay. Honestly, well, I think uh, yeah. I don't know whether you know courses were all probably disrupted from COVID, but it's de- there's definitely information on Triathlon Scotland's website about it for sure. Uh, yeah. Even if they don't know when the next course date is, I'm sure you can uh, like email them for to get on the list. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing opportunity for sure, and you've obviously learned learned a lot from it, and you know it's you've enjoyed it otherwise you wouldn't still be doing it yeah yeah no you know there there is a there is a pathway to to potentially going to major games if if you enjoy it and if you follow it through and if you take it kind of yeah seriously as seriously as it needs to be yeah yeah brilliant cool okay thank you so much welcome Masha Mott to the Glasgow Tri Club podcasts how exciting. Um, yeah, hi, hi. Thank you for having me here. No worries. Um, Masha, let's go, go to the beginning. How did you get involved in Glasgow Tri- Triathlon Club? How long have you how long have you been a member? I have no idea, actually. I, I guess I joined a couple of years before the lockdown started. 
just by pure chance because I was looking um, to join a running club of some sort or some athletics club. Um, I've been looking at joining a club like that for a long time. And um, why triathlon club? No specific reason because somebody I knew was in a triathlon club and they suggested I come along to a session. So I did and kind of started from there, I guess. Cool. And I think because I want to talk to you today a little bit about all your running exploits this year, but did you come to the tri club um, from a running background? Is that what you've always done? Uh, well, I, I've always been quite athletic, uh, I think, um, in my childhood and when I was at school and at university. And I, I have enjoyed running um, throughout my life, but never really have been specifically training for anything or being a member of any clubs. Um, I did some um, boxing at university um, just because we had a boxing club at the university. And um, and I did a bit of running, I guess. Uh, I've always enjoyed PE, um, but no, no specific running background as such. Mm-hmm. And because you've got, have you got two kids? Is that right? I have got three boys, yes. They're all in primary school. One is in P7, P5 and P1. And did you start running before you had them or after you had them? Is that something you picked up after you became a mother? Well, I've kind of run throughout my life. So I would probably call myself a seasonal runner up until maybe a couple of years ago. So I would run maybe a few 10Ks a year or yeah. a half marathon or, or a marathon, but I've never really consistently trained for anything. Um, so probably, um, you know, probably would just run when I feel like it. And if I didn't feel like it, I would just stay at home and watch TV and books. <laughs> <laughs> and how have you managed to because I'm going to get to your races in a minute but how have you managed to consistently train especially like in the last couple of years with lockdown with three young boys at home you know a busy life work yeah yeah well with the lockdown happening and uh, we've all been in a funny place um, being locked up at home and uh, I've kind of uh, been made redundant so and I've been looking for jobs so it was quite a difficult period uh, for everybody um, and for me as well so uh, I struggled a bit with uh, homeschooling as I'm sure everybody were in the same position um, anyway and then my dad passed away in December um, so I, I kind of had to find something to channel my emotions and channel my grief um so I had to find something to to do and I decided because I enjoyed running in the past and I thought I will just run for a charity uh, to to raise money uh, for Parkinson's uh, charity so um I did that I set myself a goal uh, of running I think it was 150 miles in the month of January so um and I did that and throughout that um, I uh, sort of regained my um, love for running and um, 
pretty much uh, stuck with it since then and have been running um, consistently sticking to about, I don't know, my mileage per week varies, uh, but about, I don't know, between 40 and 70 kilometers a week, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, you've, and then, yeah, so, I mean, you've just got sort of more and more, it looks like, as the summer's gone on, because you started you started with the, your first race this year was the John Muir Way in May. Is that right? Oh, no, that's a lie. Kintyre Way, Ultra in May. Yeah, the, the Kintyre Way was in, in May. And the reason I entered was because I just wanted to, to uh, feel like we can... Uh, have some normality back so I just wanted to uh, enter any race available and Kintyre Way was one of them so I thought well 50 kilometers can I can run a marathon maybe I can run 50 kilometers so um, and uh, yeah I did and to my surprise I came third and it was really good fun and I met loads of amazing people on the way and although the weather was horrendous somehow it's still kind of made me feel really good and I really enjoyed it so I thought I'll maybe do another one yeah so I signed up for uh Clydestride Ultra which unfortunately never never happened because it was cancelled due to COVID uh so instead I decided to run my own Clydestride Ultra <laughs> so I just ran um along the canal um for a total of 65 kilometers um, and a couple of um, Glasgow Triathlon um, Club uh, members um, kept me company for some sections of the way. Mm-hmm. And that was good fun. So because I got a chance to chat to them and catch up. Um, so, yeah, it kind of gave me some goal to um, keep in mind and to finish. Yep, so I did that. And, um, yeah. And then you did run the blades, is that right? Then I did run the blades, uh, which was in September. That one I was actually looking forward to because I previously uh, have done um, a couple of half marathons there before and I really liked the area. It's quite windy usually, obviously a wind farm and quite hilly, but it's, uh, it's quite a nice route to run and uh, hard to get lost because it's usually quite well signposted. So I thought I'll run that one. It was also a 50 kilometer race and I uh, did quite well there. I came second Um, and I was, I think I was 14th overall um, out of 130 people. So that kind of made me feel, oh, maybe actually I can run. Maybe I'm actually pretty good at running. So it was yep. good and I also met some nice people and you know it's always good to 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 meet uh, other runners and and hear the stories why they run and and uh, how they got into running and what charities they support because a lot of them do um sort of run for some causes um so that was all good and uh, the next uh Ultra I did after that was uh, the consecutive weekend um, the weekend after which I thought I should cancel and I didn't really actually want to run it at all because I thought I'd be too tired and it's just not really 
you know, I didn't really fancy running a, a very hilly ultra so soon after the other event, mm-hmm. but I did it anyway, and it was a great day out. Uh, it was very sunny and beautiful, and just I loved it. And uh, I was the first uh, woman back, um, which that was, was amazing. I didn't expect country. it at all. I was a chronic hunter, yeah. I just... It's just really nice. I was just, I think, you know, part of me thinks that it's just, it's all a fluke and it's going to end and I'm not really that great because, you know, it's just me, you know. <laughs> We're conditioned. Um, anyway, um, but yeah, I suppose so. But, you know, it, it's good to know that I finished and never mind that I finished first, but it, it was just really nice to to run the route um and it was quite challenging in places and quite hilly um I almost got lost twice and I fell at the conic hill because it was quite slippery and muddy so I was covered in mud but I managed it was it was also good good and then just not long after that then you had another we had the fox like on your way right that's another 50 yeah I think I think that that was that was about four weeks after the conic hunter or five weeks um that was a good one as well um very well organized very well run a lovely route Uh, it's quite popular a lot of people were taking part um the weather was very good as well um a little bit of rain and there were loads of amazing food stations there. So if you're thinking of a of a first ultra, this is the best one um, local event to take part in. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, I was the first woman there as well. To my surprise, the second and the third woman were only like a minute or two behind me. I'm I actually ran for the majority of the second half I actually ran by myself there were nobody there I couldn't see anybody you know I saw some uh, relay runners overtaking me but I knew they weren't really the running the full thing yeah um so yeah it was it's 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 good I, I do enjoy ultra running just because it gives you um some space to think about other things I don't know or not think about anything at all I don't know I can't actually tell you if I think about anything when I'm running it's just like I'm in some running zone um I don't know so it's good I enjoy it but I would like to do more triathlons um for next year that would be my goal I think and to, like the longer distances on the triathlon, because you're obviously excelling now at, at ultra running. Do you think that you would want to go long on triathlon as well? Yeah, well, um, I would love to say I'd love to do a, an Ironman, um, but maybe not next year. It's quite quite a long distance. I don't think I'm, I'm um, I don't know. It, it probably takes a long time to prepare for it. And my current cycling ability requires a lot of improvement um i think next year is the year where i tackle the bike and improve my swimming mm-hmm. and try not to lose my running <laughs> i feel like you're the sort of person Masha, that's not going to have any bother whatsoever um 
getting getting your cycling and swimming up to the same level as you're running. I don't think it'll take long by the looks of things. I don't know. Uh, thank you. That's very flattering that you're saying that. But <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, I'll next year. I'll, I'll try to do the middle distance triathlon. I think that will be my goal, at least one. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I also signed up for um, a longer ultra next year. Mm. It's a Glen Moore 24. There are two options. There is 12-hour ultra and a 24-hour ultra. So somebody I ran the Kintyre Way ultra with um, suggested that I should sign up for that one. Uh, so I signed up for a 12-hour option. And you get to run uh, in... Uh, Glenmore Forest, uh, you run as many four-mile loops as you can within 12 hours. And basically, that's that's it. So we'll see how that goes. Amazing. I'm sure that you will smash it by the looks of things, considering how this year's gone. I love that, I love that you just like thought, oh, I'll just go and run an ultra this year, and then you ran like five ultras and podiumed on pretty much all of them. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> Probably aren't many uh, women taking part, or mu- much less women taking part in ultra running than men. I don't know. Mm, Maybe, but would sure. you know, play your achievements? Because <laughs> you know, it's been amazing. I'm, I'm interested in how your recovery has been because some of those were so close together, and I know I can run a 10k and need a week a week off. You know, and. I'm quite I'm impressed at how well you seem to have recovered from all of them. Have you found it generally quite easy to recover from them? Yes, actually, it's been surprisingly okay. I've been feeling absolutely fine, like no problem at all. And I think it's just because I've been consistently running and it swimming helps as well. So I would use swimming as as a recovery and um, a lot of People I know use cycling as recovery. So swimming definitely helps to loosen all the tight muscles. And sports massage also helps a lot. So with my last two ultras where I came first, um, I actually um, go to see a a sports massage therapist Mm -hmm. um, just the day before. And it seems to work a treat. So that's my secret. Go have a sports massage. And you'll be fine. Good. Well, that's good. That's a good tip. Um, well, big, big plans for you next year, Masha. I'm excited to see how it goes for you because you've had a pretty incredible year this year. Well, thank you. Um, it was a great year. I do feel quite strong. Um, and I would never have even imagined that I could win anything, never mind all these ultras. <laughs> but uh, it's it's been it's been it's been good. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. And I never go into a race thinking, oh, I need to win this one. Or I just I just do it for my own enjoyment and for just, you know, I guess ticking another event off the list and, you know, maybe going to run in a, in a race I've never done before and run on a different route. Mm-hmm. So that's always quite interesting. Yeah. I think it's been really nice to see how everybody in the club has supported you as well. Um, you know. Oh yes, club club has been amazing. Yeah, 
Well, uh, the Glasgow Triathlon Club has been really great. All the sessions are really amazing, uh, especially all the running sessions that I've been to, um, the track sessions in Hunters Hill, especially. It's amazing for improving your speed work and endurance. Mm -hmm. And all the swim sessions are, um, we have so many uh, swim sessions starting in different places now. We've got a swim session in Bishop Briggs and at uh, Mary Hill and uh, what else? Um, in all the various places. So swim, swimming has improved my core a lot, I think, although it's still not perfect. It's definitely better than it was. And I'm trying to engage it every time I run. So <laughs> it certainly helped. Yes, oh, I'm glad to must be. Yes, it's been really nice to see how everybody supported you as well when it's posted on the group. Everyone's you know so supportive of your endeavours, and we're all very impressed and in awe of your achievements this year, Masha. So well done. Thank you very much. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everyone who's contributed to this podcast and to all the other episodes throughout the year. Um, I hope you have a lovely Christmas and New Year and we'll see you in 2022 ready to tackle it head on.